0: Then we'll pray. Uh, pray and get started. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, for this morning, and uh, we thank you for uh, your messengers. May we uh, receive every message uh, that, that you bring our way um, through angels in your word, however you do that. May we receive your messages uh, to us. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen. So to me, uh, one of the dominant themes of Christmas is always the stories that we tell. Uh, At Christmas time, we love to tell stories. Take, for instance, the story of Santa Claus. What is this story really all about? Uh, It's about a generous, jolly man uh, who delivers toys to all the nice boys and girls around the planet. Uh, When you think about the movie The Christmas Story, uh, what is that story really about? It's about a little boy uh, who's on a quest to get a Red Ryder BB gun, despite his mother's concern that he's going to... Right, you've seen it. All right. Despite his mom's concern, he's going to shoot his eye out. When you think about National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation, it's a story about Clark W. Griswold and his quest to have an old-fashioned family Christmas and a Christmas bonus, and Cousin Eddie almost robs him of his Christmas spirit. Uh, we love Christmas stories. And so when you think about the Jesus part of Christmas, which is what Christmas is really all about, uh, what, what is the Jesus part of it all about? And I would submit to you that I think it's about good news. It's the good news that Jesus came to bring. The Christmas story is all about Jesus. And so the best and uh, most profound message that God ever sent to the world, we're in this series about the messages that God sent, specifically through angels, the biggest and best message God ever sent us was through his son. Here's here's how John says it. It says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. That's good news. That's great news, that is a good message. So a message that big and a message that profound, it is no surprise to me that the Christmas story is just riddled with angels all throughout it because the angels are God's messengers. So the biggest and best message that God ever provided the world, of course that story would have angels all throughout it. And so the Christmas story, you see angels again and again and again in this story. So I wanna show you uh, three stories from the Christmas story Uh, of angels, and I want to show you what these angels say, because I think they're going to help us understand uh, the gift that is Jesus, the gift that is the good news, the gift that we celebrate all year long, but specifically focus on at Christmas. So let's start with Joseph, Jesus's earthly father, and here's how uh, the text goes, right? Matthew 1. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. she will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now, we really don't know a ton about Joseph. We we really don't historically. A lot of people think that it's possible that he may have died uh, when, when Jesus was quite young, but we really don't know. But just from this text, you can tell that he's a really classy guy. Uh, if you can say that, he's a really stand-up guy. Consider his position for a moment. He's engaged to be married, and according to Jewish law, uh, he was already legally bound by this point to marry. Joseph would have had to gone through a divorce uh, to leave Mary, and your fiancé comes to you and tells you that she's pregnant. And as the man in the equation, you know the baby's not yours. Kids, you can ask your parents about this later. Um, He, you're welcome, all right, he has options According to the law of Moses, he could have had Mary stoned and killed for this pregnancy, but Joseph doesn't do that. And he doesn't want to expose her to public disgrace either. Uh, But he has this idea that he's going to divorce her kind of quietly. He's a stand-up guy. So God sends an angel that tells him not to do that, and the angel reminds us what exactly this Jesus thing is all about and this good news that Jesus came to bring. And here's what the angel says. She will give birth to a son. You are to give him the name Jesus because, read this with me, he will save his people from their sin. He will save his people from their sin. This is what Christmas is all about. Let's get a definition of sin uh, just for a moment. Uh, The Greek word for sin, it literally means to miss. So throughout the Old Testament and and the New for that matter, God God articulates his plan and his purpose for our life. He articulates the best way to live. You could call this hitting the target, that God has placed a target before us in terms of how we are to live and and the decisions we are to make. So marriage, there's a target when it comes to marriage. This is the best way to do it. Worship, there's a target when it comes to worship. This is the best way to do it. Anger, there's a target, right? Uh, Family, there's a target. And the definition of sin is very, very simple. It's to miss the target. And so before we go much further down this road, you need to know we all miss the target, right? This is what is so baffling about overly judgmental people is overly judgmental people love to talk about how everyone else is missing the target. And what you want to say to them is you don't. Because the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. In other words, everyone misses. So everyone, everyone misses the target at, at some point. We've all missed the mark. Now, I'm not an archer, all right? I know that might be shocking to you, but I'm not an archer. I never have been. Um, I'm a basketball guy. and I played basketball. I wish I was better. I'd have a lot more money than I have right now if I was, Um, but I was just okay. Uh, My claim to fame in basketball was was, was for my college team, a Christian college up in Michigan. Uh, I led the league that the the year that I played, I led the league in block shots. I was good defensively. I was not good offensively, and so I remember on one occasion, our team was down by two, uh, a few seconds left, we had the ball, and this was not supposed to happen, but it did. Someone passed me the ball. Now, we all knew that I wasn't supposed to get the ball. The coach covered it in the team huddle, right? I was not supposed to get the ball, but somebody made the mistake of passing me the ball. I was immediately fouled, Right? No seconds left on the clock. I was fouled, we're down by two. I have to hit both shots. Uh, in order for us to go into overtime, and I missed the first shot, all right, because I'm 6'9", I'm terrible at free throws, it was Shaq ahead before Shaq, all right, so um, the cost of that miss, the price of that miss was we lost the game, so the Bible says that when you miss the mark, and we all miss the mark, the Bible says there's a cost for missing the mark, and the cost is death, The wages of sin is death. The wages of the miss is death. That God is holy and righteous and perfect. His standard is bullseye. We've all missed. And so what that means, when the Bible talks about death, it's talking about, A, first of all, separation from God. Because God is holy, perfect, and righteous. And we, we are not. But it's also a separation from the life that God has in store for us. He has that bullseye for a reason. He knows the best way to live. And so when we miss it, we miss out on the life that God has in store for us. When we miss it with marriage, when we miss it with finances, when we miss it in in our family, we're missing out on the life God has in store for us. But what the angel declares is equally true. The wages of sin is death, but the angel says Jesus will save his people from their sins. And that's exactly what Jesus did. On a spiritual level, the cost of my miss is death. On a spiritual level, Jesus went to the cross and he died. Um, he took my place. He, he, he paid my, for my miss even though he missed nothing. He forgives our sin so that we can know God in this life and the next. And listen, you were created for that. You were created to know, honor, follow, and worship God. Our sin separates us from God, but Jesus paid the cost of your miss so that you could know, follow, and worship God in this life and in the next. But I believe it's true in a whole other level as well. Certainly our sins are forgiven so we can go to heaven and know God in this life and the next. But Jesus also came to be our example of how to live. He never missed the mark and he gives us an example. This is the best way to live. He came as a teacher to teach us the best way to live. He promises us the Holy Spirit when we put our faith into him to help us live better lives. So hear me on this. Jesus doesn't just want to forgive your sin. He wants to lead you to new life. He wants to help you get closer and closer to the bullseye. And so as we submit our life to him, we can look at him as the example. We can look at him as the teacher. We can receive his power by the Holy Spirit and we can get closer and closer and closer to the life that he has intended for us. He can help us overcome temptation. He can help us overcome past destructive behavior. He can help us make better decisions. Day after day after day, on every level, Jesus saves us from our sin. And that is good news. Let me show you the next story, the right, story of Mary. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. Uh, over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. So when the angel appears to Joseph, the angel talks about how Jesus will forgive us from our sins. The angel declares to Mary, in addition to our sins being forgiven, the angel declares the kingdom of Jesus. You probably noticed the kingdom language throughout the text there, that uh, that, that Jesus will come from the line of his father, David. David is considered to be one of, if not the greatest kings in Israel's history, and there was a belief that the ultimate Messiah of the world would someday come from the line of David. And if you ever wonder, if you go to read the Christmas story, you might come across Matthew 1, the genealogy, and you're like, what is the point of this? Well, Matthew was written to a Jewish audience, and the point of that is to prove to you that Jesus came from the line of David. That's why Matthew 1's in there, all right? So, so Jesus came from the line of David. He is the ultimate Messiah, and he came to establish a kingdom. He didn't just come to forgive sin. He did do that, but he didn't just come for that. He came to establish a kingdom, and this confused a lot of people in Jesus's ministry, because at the time of his birth, Rome occupied Israel, And so a lot of people believe that when the Messiah came, he was going to kick Rome out of Israel, and he was going to establish a political kingdom that would rule the day and and make Israel great again. And they just believed the Messiah was going to do this, and they imposed their vision on Jesus. But Jesus didn't come to establish that kind of kingdom. He came to establish a kingdom that was bigger and better than any of that, the kingdom of God. And so we don't use this word establishing a kingdom very much anymore, right? You know, I don't, you know, say to my family, let me explain to you how I want to establish my kingdom in our family, right? We, we don't talk that way, but everybody is establishing a kingdom. You can especially hear this in little kids sometimes. Have you ever heard, uh, I, we've got a seven-year-old, and so our seven-year-old loves to talk about what his kingdom is going to be like when he no longer has to obey mom and dad, Right? <laughs> He loves to talk about this. He's, and he talks about stuff like, I'm going to eat as much candy as I want. I'm going to watch as much TV as I want. I'm going to play as many video games as I want. I'm never going to take a bath ever again. Right? It's like, well, you're never going to get married then. So, I, I, you know, but... And then the older you get, the more you realize your parents were pretty smart and you do things exactly the way they told you to do them. But what he, he wouldn't say it this way, but what he's articulating there is this is what my kingdom would be like if I were in charge. And we all do that. We all have like a vision of the, what our kingdom would look like, how things would operate if we were in charge. And here's the thing. Jesus is He's, he is in charge, and he establishes a kingdom. And if you ever want to know what his kingdom looks like, I would point you to Matthew 5 through 7. It's the Sermon on the Mount. We're actually going to spend 12 weeks at the front of the year studying Matthew 5 through 7 until Easter time. And uh, we're going we're to we're do that together, the Sermon on the Mount. But in this, uh, in this sermon, Jesus articulates his vision for his kingdom. So he talks about how blessing comes in his kingdom right? He talks about how we're to treat our neighbor. He talks about how we're to treat our enemies. He talks about how we're to treat our neighbor who is our enemy, right? He he talks about all this stuff, how to pray, how to worship, how to fast. It's incredible. And we believe, as, as a Christian, I believe that this is the vision of my king. And so it's my vision too. So we strive to follow him. We strive to obey him. Not so we'll be saved. We're saved by grace, but because this is our king. And he came to establish a kingdom. And we want to do things uh, his way. And we should be thrilled, as a side note, we should be thrilled that our kingdom is run by someone so generous and kind and wonderful as Jesus. I wonder if Mary and Joseph felt this way when, when as they got older, especially. When Jesus was born, uh, did you know that when Jesus was born, there was a man who was ruling that called himself the king of the Jews? His name was Herod, dude was crazy. Okay. He was absolutely crazy. He called himself the king of the Jews. Uh, He was kind of a puppet king for Rome. Rome put him in place and uh, Herod just kind of oversaw the province and uh, he called himself the king of the Jews. Well, one day some wise men, wise guys, I was going to say, wise men come through, uh, came through and they go to Herod and say, hey, we're looking for the king of the Jews, the one that's been born king of the Jews. And the text says that Herod was greatly disturbed. I bet he was because he was the king of the Jews. And so he said, why don't you tell me where this king has been born, born and then I too can go and worship him. And the Magi, the, the wise men, are kind of warned in a dream uh, not to do that. And when Herod realizes, look, this is just kind of how crazy this guy was, when he realizes he's been outwitted, he concocts this maniacal plan to kill all the baby boys in that region that were two years old and, and younger to try to kill off the new king of the Jews. Um, The guy was absolutely crazy. And I wonder, as they reflected, Mary and Joseph reflected on what the angel said, I wonder how many times it gave them great hope to hear these words. Herod's not the real king. Your son is the real king. And he is gracious, and he is kind, and he is perfect. Herod's not king. Caesar's not king. This baby is king. He's going to be king. He will forever be king. And God's hand of protection is with you, and God's will is going to be done. Herod will not win the final day. And sometimes I think we just need to be reminded of this truth. If you'll indulge me for a few minutes, I I just think we need to be reminded of this. Look at me cancer is not king, it's not. Joblessness is not king. Your enemies are not king. Divorce is not king. Difficult relationships are not king. Jesus is our king. And he is a better, kinder, more gracious king. And at the end of the day, he will stand victorious. He is supreme, he is on the throne, he is our king. So if you came limping in here today, I want you to know whatever you're facing, that thing is not king. Jesus is king, he is on the throne, and he is good. And I wonder how many times Mary and Joseph just need to be reminded of this as they're running for their lives uh, from, a, from a maniacal king, as they're having to go to Egypt to live because of this crazy guy in, in their hometown. How many times they just need to be reminded of this. Herod's not king. God is in control, and God's got a plan, and it's going to be okay. One more story, story of the shepherds. Oh, I got plenty of time. All right, I'm not worried at all. all right. I'm going to preach for a long time yet. No, all right. Uh, there are shepherds living out. In the, there were shepherds in the fields, uh, living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. All right, all right. Not really cu- an image of a cute baby in a diaper. All right, that's not what angels are. They're big majestic creatures. But the angel said to them, "Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of uh, good news that will cause great joy for all the people." Today in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is Messiah, the Lord. So you see the first two things we've talked about there. A savior has been born to you. He's He's the king. He's the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in claws, lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth to those on whom his favor rests. And the angels in this story right? So far, they, they're articulating that Jesus came to be our king, that Jesus came to forgive our sins. And in this story, what we see is that we, the, the Christmas story reminds us that we praise God. We are all about praising God for who he is and what he's done. The angels remind us that this news that, that Jesus ushered in, this kingdom that he came to usher in, results in us praising God, praising him for his grace, Right? The Christmas story is all about God's grace, praising him for his patience, praising him for his work, praising him for his wisdom and knowledge, praising him for his resurrection. And praise can be done so many ways, right? Obedience is praise, right? Sharing our faith with others is praise. It's giving glory to God. It's showing people the path to Jesus. Preaching and teaching is a form of praise. Praying is a form of praise. Sacrifice is a type of praise. Serving is a type of praise. And yes, singing is a form of praise. And so I don't know what your favorite part of Christmas is, right? It's going to be here in a few months, but maybe for you it's the food. I kind of, you'll find this shocking, but I lean that way, right? Um, Sweets, chocolate, cookies. Maybe for you it's the sights, the decorations, the lights. Maybe for you it's the smell, the smell of uh, pine in your house, the smell of hot chocolate on the stove. But I know that there's a lot of people uh, for whom the best part of Christmas is the singing, it is the songs. It is how the songs of Christmas reflect the greatness and glory of God. We become like the angels when we sing. All right? so, and, and a lot of our Christmas songs do exactly this: Old Holy Night" reminds us that the world was in sin and air pining, that we were wasting away until our Savior appeared, and the soul, our souls, felt the worth of His salvation. God, rest ye merry gentlemen, brings tidings of comfort and joy from knowing that Jesus Christ our Savior was born to save us from all of Satan's power when we had gone astray. And Hark the Herald Angels Sing, we learn that through the newborn king, God and sinners can be reconciled. In the first Noel, it reiterates that point. It says, then let us all with one accord sing praises to our heavenly Lord who has made heaven and earth of naught, and with his blood mankind have Bought. We get this example from the angels that they are singing praises to God for what He has done, for the good that He is, and through His son and for His son, Jesus. And through their story, they're all about the story that God is telling and pointing people to Him. And angels are an example to us of this. That when we talk about giving glory to God like the angels did. We're talking about with every part of our being, with our singing, with our obedience, with our servant, with all the stuff that I mentioned earlier, we're talking about pointing people to Jesus for who he is and what he's done. Telling people, God loves you so much that he gave his one and only son for you. God has a kingdom that is better than any kingdom you could be a part of. Your sins can be forgiven. You can know God in this life and in the next and it's all through Jesus. It's constantly and consistently pointing people to Jesus. And my prayer for me is that I would be more like those angels, that I would be all about giving God glory um, in my life, that when good things happen in my life, that I point it to Jesus. When bad things happen in my life, that I continue to follow, honor, and love Jesus in, in work, home, life, free time, that I would always look for ways to point people to Jesus because he's worthy of it. And I love what the angel says, what the angel says, glory to God in the highest heaven, And on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. You know what? I think those two statements work together. Let me explain it. When God is glorified, when we're all about him, I believe peace comes. I believe those statements work together. I really believe that. Angels are an example to us in this. Let me ask you a question. Do you think angels spend a lot of time stressed out? No, right? Yeah, yeah no. I, I, don't, I don't believe angels spend a lot of time stressed out because they have seen the glory of God. They know God's got this. To use Scott's uh, language from earlier. They know God's got this. Now, you know what the Bible does say about them? Not that they're stressed. What the Bible says about angels is this. They long. They long. They long to see how God is going to work it out. But they know God's going to work it out. They've seen his greatness. They've seen his glory. They've seen his majesty. They know he's got this. They just can't wait to see how he's got it. And so there's a real difference between those two things. right? Stressed is, all right, this isn't going to work out. This isn't going to work out. This isn't going to work out. How is this going to work out? I can't see how it's going to work out. Longing is, I can't wait to see how God works this out. And I want to be a longer Right? I, I want to have more longing and less stress. I think about the story of the cross, right? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. During the death and burial and during the death and burial of Jesus, we see a group of disciples that are stressed to the max. Right? They are beyond stress. They think their leader has been killed. Uh, they know he's been killed. They don't know what's going to happen. Three days later, Jesus rose again. The disciples received the Holy Spirit, and all of a sudden in the book of Acts. They've got all this boldness. Peter's first sermon he ever preached, after hiding in the upper room, Peter's first sermon that he ever preached was, here's the title of the sermon, You killed Jesus. And he's not super happy about it, right? So, you know, that, that's a first, he's got all of this boldness, and what we see in the disciples is they have made this transition from stressed, how's this gonna work out, how's this gonna work out, how's this gonna work out, to longing. I can't wait to see how he works it up. And that came through the resurrection. It's seeing the greatness. It's seeing the majesty. It's seeing how wonderful God is and just knowing that he's got it. Knowing that he's got it. So it's like, I got nothing to be stressed about. I've got some things to long for. Right? And you see this all throughout the, all throughout the New Testament. Uh, the, the early church longed for the return of Jesus. They're longing for an end to their suffering. They're longing for a change of circumstances. They're longing for some things, but you don't see them being stressed out because they know God's got it. And I want to encourage you with that. I, I want to I encourage you with that. The resurrection encourages us to not be afraid, but maybe to long. It's like, man, I can't wait to see what God does in this circumstance. I can't wait to see how God does his work. I can't wait to see how this thing comes to conclusion. It's a longing, not a a stress. And and I want to make that movement. May the same be true of us. May this morning we leave behind our stress. You know, angels aren't stressed because they've seen the glory of God. They know God's got it. May we be like them. May this be true of us, that we leave behind our stress, knowing that God is great, knowing that God is good, And may we move to longing. That I can't wait to see what God does in this circumstance. I can't wait to see how God comes through. I can't wait to see what God does from stress to longing. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you uh, for your angels and for their message. Um, May we be like them. May we receive their message first to know that Jesus came to forgive our sins. Um, To know that Jesus came to establish a kingdom to know that Jesus has invited us to follow him. May we accept their message, but in another way, may we also be like them. May we be all about God's glory, your glory. May we be all about your praise. And may we make the movement this morning from stressed to longing. Man, I get so stressed out, God, so easily. And as I've studied the angels, I'm like, these angels are not stressed out. They, they long to see what you're gonna do, but they're not stressed out and I wanna be more like that, God. I wanna lay uh, my stress at the feet of your cross and I wanna pick up some longing and eager expectation for what you're gonna do. As we get ready to receive communion together, I wanna pray that we would be reminded of the story of your death, burial, and resurrection and how it creates longing. We thank you again for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. The cross is always the example. Uh, The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus is always the example for everything. And and this is no different. That as we look at the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, it creates in us this uh, faith that God has things in control because we remember during the death of Jesus, it looked like things were out of control, but they were in control the entire time. So it creates this faith and it creates this longing that man, what's, that, what's my resurrection moment going to be like? How is God gonna bring about all things work together for the, love, for the good of those who love God and are called according to purpose? What is that resurrection moment going to be like? And this moment that we receive communion together reminds us that this is how God works right? This is what God does. He brings about resurrection out of very difficult circumstances. And so we're going to pass the emblems here. You'll find two cups stacked on top of each other. One has some bread representing Jesus's body on the cross. The other has some juice representing his blood. And this is a reminder uh, that, man, our sins can be forgiven through Jesus. We can be welcomed into the kingdom of God uh, through, through, through Jesus's Death, burial, and resurrection, and that's the good news the angels came to proclaim. Uh, But it's also a reminder: whatever you're facing this morning, God's still in control. He is. Uh, We're gonna talk about this more in a couple weeks about God's will for for our life. But God's God's got things. He's, He's still on the throne, he's still in control, and let's just long for what he's going to do. So when they're passed out, you hold on to those. And I'll come back up in just a moment and we'll receive communion uh, together as a church family.